Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and beat the bad rep and the news cycle. Mm-hmm. I am a liar. Okay. Um, I did not go to Bonnaroo Uh-oh. 2021. I did not see Tyler the Creator or mm. anyone perform. Um, in fact, Hurricane Ida shortly canceled <laughs> the performance of anyone <laughs> right after I used my lying teeth. So uh, I just want to come on air and apologize to all those I hurt by by telling these lies. Mm-hmm. A lot of people expected snap stories of uh, musical artists that I yep. just simply did not provide. And uh, I know that this is probably like a fire Festival 2.0 kind oh, of situation. Yeah, I think there'll be documentaries about it, you know. Yeah. Bonnaroo 2021. I appreciate, though, that even though I'm in hot water, you're still going to do a podcast with me. Just like any good internet celebrity scandal. Bean Dad. Exactly. The rest. You know, they um, still get a podcast. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody gets a podcast. Come on. Yeah, you can't deplatform someone from from <laughs> posting something <laughs> like a podcast. Like a podcast. <laughs> like a podcast. Like, just their own little podcast. So yeah, it's our own little cute little thing. Well, speaking, actually, of Fire Festival 2.0, apparently that happened this weekend. Really? Have you heard anything about Elements Festival? Uh-uh. Okay, so basically Bonnaroo got canceled this weekend because Hurricane Ida made the campgrounds unusable. Um, and people were like, what? That's bullshit. And so this other smaller EDM festival swooped in and was like, hey... Our festival's still on this weekend. Come on out. Come camp. Come buy some tickets. They're on sale right now. And um, basically, it was a nightmare. Like, people couldn't... Like, we're not hearing everything about it yet because, like, apparently the signal is so bad and people are, like, stranded there that they are not getting out to tell all of the horrors of the festival yet. Oh, no. But, like, some of the stories include, like, people waiting in line for 16 hours for campsites that are already full and being turned back. Um, Artists can't get into their parking spots and are having to cancel shows because they literally can't get into the festival. Right. People are stuck in the mud everywhere. And uh, the food vendors ran out on day two. Uh, so like, so they made it a little bit farther than Firefest. They did. They (laughs) did. They got to day two and they did have campgrounds, albeit super fucking muddy. Yeah. And, uh, most people gave up in body and spirit from trying to even approach all that bullshit. It sounds like. Well, I I feel like we're going to hear a lot more about it soon, but there's Mm -hmm. been some Twitter threads about it and. It kind of does make me grateful that the Bonnaroo people were like, we're not going to put you through this shit. Like, this is why we canceled. It's like, we didn't want this situation to happen. And they they were pretty gracious. I I, I still get... They they put on an event where, like, Phoebe Bridgers and um, Sylvanesso and uh, Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes, like, all did a concert, which is the weirdest uh, mashup of artists, by the way, because, like, the first two... Very energetic, very funky, very jazzy. And then Phoebe mm-hmm. Bridgers is just about the most depressing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, artist that you can listen to right now. <laughs> but it was it was a great show still. So nice. I um still some music. My trip did not get canceled. Fantastic. Um, yeah, we. Uh, well, not that your trip got canceled. The, the you still you still had a good time though. Yeah, you went yeah. to the Airbnb. You said Airbnb. Went, I went to Nashville, enjoyed an Airbnb with some friends. Heck yeah. Fucking great time. Oh, and you 
as well went yeah. on a trip, but everything went according to plan. Well, yeah, like. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, only thing that didn't go, we stayed at the White Buffalo Resort. Um, it's where the White River and the Buffalo River meet, and they can join, and it's a really pretty river. And there's a resort there. Um, and the only thing that didn't go according to plan was we planned on catching some big fish, some big trout. Um, and we caught nothing. Oh. It was very sad. <laughs> that is so sad. <laughs> but it's fine. We still had a good time. We ate so much food. We brought some food home with us. And uh, we played... Uh, do you know what the game Cornhole is? No, I don't know what Cornhole is. So it's like two different... It's like a, a board with a hole. About the about this... Yay big. I know the viewers can't see, but it's, it, it's a good-sized hole. It's not, But it's not too big. Uh, and you put one of those boards across from each other about... 20 feet apart and you oh, take Oh, with the bags. Yeah. Oh, actually, I do. I just have yeah. never called it cornhole, I guess. What do you, I don't, what do you call it? Because um, apparently there's 27 names for it. There's like some, I've, I swear we sell, or at Target they sell it and it's like yeah. a different name or something. It's like Backyard um, something. I don't know, I don't but know I've always that. known it by that name and I, I haven't played it enough to <laughs> yeah. have, it, have a name. It's, it's a really yeah. fun game, especially when, uh, you start drinking. Yeah. So we, we played that and it was, uh, it was really fun. I won my, I, bet I won a best two out of three game, uh, against my sister. So I felt pretty good. There you go. You uh, got, you got to always stick it to the siblings exactly. when you can. But <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. We stayed in a really nice cabin. Um, and I, we got back today, actually. So, did you, you got back today as well? Didn't you? Indeed, indeed. Awesome. Just, so I, I imagine we're both uh, pretty sapped. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> sapped. But, but I'll, I'm always down to talk about movies. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, we watched Zero this week, huh? Or did you watch one? Uh, but, 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 yeah, I watched Zero this week. I was too busy. Yeah, yeah. me neither, man. Fuck, uh, the fuck movies, thing, am I right? Bro, fuck movies. This is the fuck movies podcast. <laughs> fucking hate movies. The only thing I did watch, uh, which I think you did too, I don't know, did you watch New Richard and Mortimer? I did, I did, and we okay. can get into that. Let's get I into think, that. Uh, well, shit, I feel like, are we jumping into it too quickly? Are we? Nah. Man, what's going Okay, yeah. Let's, let's just let's do not, it. Let's not be afraid. Yeah. Okay. And let's issue a spoiler one. Well, let's do non-spoiler. Then non-spoiler. We'll spoiler, yeah. Uh, maybe like a season five spoiler-free overview. For, yeah, for, yeah. For the folks. Um, season five, what do you think about it compared to other seasons? Um. So I think... Um, I think there have been better seasons. However... I still really like this season. I still think this season was on brand with Rick and Morty. I think it's a great collection to all the other seasons. Um, I think I like season four just a little bit better than season yeah. five. Um, if we're going like you know chronologically about you know if last season held up to this season, I think season four was a bit better. But season five started and ended super strong. It's just a couple episodes in the middle that has really. Um, you know, put it in that gray area for me. But for the yeah. most part, I've really enjoyed season five. I think they did a, a pretty good job. What yeah. did you think? Uh, I think you can tell, like, you know, they gave staff writers, like, a, a chance that mm -hmm. hadn't gotten, like, the, the spotlight in previous seasons. Oh, right, yeah. There's been a lot of different writers in this season. Yeah, and I mean, I think it worked out sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I do think when it came to the, like, sperm episode in the middle of the season, that was some fucking dog shit. Yeah. But, like, um, other than that, like, I always love fresh voices in a writer's room. And they, this season, like seemed to strike that healthy balance between like episodic 
um, you know, fun and yeah, and yeah. serialized storytelling. And I, I really enjoyed it for that. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree with you though. Like, it, it's weird to say it is a weaker season mm-hmm. than than like most, but like it's still really great. Like, right. I still love this show, and yeah. um, I mean, I'm very I'm very happy with how they've handled like a lot of like ongoing storylines, especially in this season. Like, I feel like they've dealt with it in a way where they can like. I don't know, kind of reset again, which they've tried to do a few times, but it seems like they haven't like fully committed to it. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's where they're headed. Um, and maybe we should jump into spoilers. Yeah, uh, let's just go ahead and do it. Uh, we're going to talk about the season five finale. It's the two part finale of the the season five. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want spoilers, go ahead and skip to this timestamp. 19 minutes and 25 seconds. And we're getting into spoilers in three, two, one. Uh, first part of the season finale. What'd you think about it? I I liked it. Um, I did too. I think that I I didn't I didn't expect it to still be separated into two different like episodes. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought it would be like an hour long one hour special. Long. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it was technically. Mm-hmm. You know, they they flow together, and you have to watch them back to back if you're really gonna fully enjoy them. Um, like it was good. It was yeah. really good. I think that the second episode was more of like what I was expecting with yeah. this finale, and um, I think that it was a good setup for like I don't know. Like I like the bird thing. Like mm. I like the crows plot line. I they, think that was silly. They've been obsessed with birds. I think this entire season. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the first the first part was. Uh, was really good really i loved the writing of the first episode like i think the writing was pretty strong um with like the whole portal the portal thing was so cool yeah Uh, i really enjoyed that aspect of it um and then morty fucking cutting off his own hand with the oh my god yeah uh i really like that and uh rick's storyline with the crows is just really fucking funny to me yeah uh also the the garbage goober that is so fucking funny that (laughs) i love trash trash (laughs) he has like a doctorate at the end (laughs) yeah he's like you're a doctor (laughs) (laughs) oh we i love trash (laughs) yeah I love when they let Justin Roiland just, like, have fun and, like, make up whatever random bullshit, like, he feels yeah. like saying, you know? I love it. It's good. It, I did, um, I did think, like, the, the Morty storyline was good. I think that, uh, the, the random guy that he, like, rescued, like, mm-hmm. I felt like that was gonna be more interesting than it actually ended up being. Like, yeah. the setup was cool, and then the payoff was just kinda like, oh, I don't know, like, it, it felt yeah. very by the numbers for, like, a, a television series. Like, oh, good man who seemed very nice, actually bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's I, been I surprising. Thought, I, yeah, I thought they were going to do, like, a, a big flashback reveal to show, like, that he had some significance in the storyline and he would do more uh, than he actually did. That's where I thought they were heading, at least. Yeah. So I was like, okay, who's this guy? Like, Rick's obviously hung out with him before, and I thought they were going to show us or, like, hint towards something, but... No, it was relatively just, you know, by the book kind of thing, um, which I was surprised. What I think was um, the best part of this episode is it seemed like they were going somewhere really interesting with the with the ending, you know, like with Rick mm-hmm. um, determining that he had a really toxic thing going with Morty, which seemed 
like a pretty quick character change, but I guess it, they've always done character changes like that in the right, in episodes yeah. just like scattered about. Um, and Rick this season has definitely been getting to this point, so I think yeah. it makes sense. Um, and I was like, wow, I, I don't know where this is going to go next episode. Like, this is yeah. weird. Like, this is not something the show's dived into. And I think that's what I really liked about the second episode is it yeah. just picks up in that, albeit with, like, a very stylized and, like, <laughs> funny, like, I guess Samurai Jack riff mm-hmm. since the episode's called Rick, Rick Marai Jack. Jack. But yeah. um, that was cool. It was just, like... <laughs> I don't know. They didn't. They didn't hold that for very long. They 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 kind of discarded it really quickly, which I'm okay yeah. with uh, because it got to some interesting stuff really quickly. I just mm-hmm. I wouldn't have minded the them being separated, maybe even into the next season. You mm-hmm. know, like if the ending of episode nine had been the season finale, and then we had picked yeah, it up yeah. with season uh, six uh, with yeah. this episode. But, like, this is also a really great way to end a season. Like, don't oh, get yeah. me wrong. Like, I really enjoyed the second episode. Like, what did you what did you like about I it? I really liked the uh, the second episode with, uh, with Evil Morty. I think what they've done with the Evil Morty character in this arc is so different from what I thought they would do and so different from what the fans actually wanted. Mm-hmm. I think as they shown in the season four train episode, yeah, uh, which and I just I loved it, and I actually had to go back and watch it a second time to like understand what was going on because the, they kind of dump a lot of information on you, like all at yeah. once with the the finite curve uh, like plot device, which now that I watched it, and I understand it. I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking wild. That is so cool that um, he's just like, fuck you. I'm just I'm leaving this. I don't know what you would call it, dimension or timeline or something. Well, I guess like yeah, this this um this construction of time that like is or this construction of reality in which mm-hmm. Rick is the smartest man across all yeah. universes. He just he's like fuck it, I'm out. And like honestly, I think that's what's the coolest part about the episode is like yeah, he's not evil per se. He's yeah. like totally in the right. Like this is like childish the way that. Like, Rick and mm-hmm. all versions of him have, like, created, uh, like, a playground for themselves to be the smartest and, like, selectively pick the universes to, mm-hmm. like, be um, the ones that uh, they're the smartest and they have control over Morty's. And mm-hmm. it was like, well, uh, I, I see that there is a bit of commentary going on mm-hmm. here. And I see, like, that, you know, maybe our main characters are, are maybe not fully in the right and even if Mm -hmm. this episode ends with morty forgiving rick and going with him like maybe these changes are going to be um you know like huge and then like have seismic like ripples throughout the show uh and it it was weird to see like evil morty like you know accomplish his goal and then honestly feel pretty good for that character like oh yeah nice like he wins he gets his he, he gets his shit done and it's like Oh, I feel good for him, and right. I, that that's an interesting thing to to see in a serialized show like this because it's so easy to just make like a big bad who, um, you know, doesn't make any sense. Which I I don't think they're trying to make a lot of sense. Like obviously they were like the dialogue can go down for this episode. You, yeah, I yeah. just want my thing. Right, um, but it it works. You it know, works super well. Yeah, I I love that they made a couple jabs at. Uh, 
at it being a serialized episode. Yeah. But then they just made a couple jokes and then they quit. You know, like the rest, it was the rest of the episode was serious, and so you, uh, they brought back the uh, the Citadel theme at the end, which mm-hmm. was fucking awesome. When he like shoots into the to like the black hole he created, yeah. and they have like the choir version or whatever of the the that Citadel theme song. It was super cool, and I thought I was like, wow, like. They know how to do serialized episodes mm-hmm. so freaking well, um, and I and I love that they only you know we only get like a couple per season because when they do them they're just they're so good they're bangers. Um, they build it up too. I mean, like that was the fun thing about this episode is the payoffs. Like Rick's like backstory mm-hmm. has been shown in bits and pieces before, and especially in this season they finally like started hinting at like names and stuff mm-hmm. you would need to know and. Like, for for a, a show that a lot of people say shits on their, like, fan base, they've kind of given the fans everything they've wanted, yeah. and then also done it their own way, too, which mm-hmm. I like, very much respect. Um, yeah. I don't know. Rick and Morty is just a really great show, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. they've, they've always been great at balancing fan expectations oh, yeah. and creative... Uh, vision mm-hmm. and I, I, I respect the creators so much for that no matter how toxic the fan base is yeah. I will always like love the show like it, right. it was one of those shows that I found and I just have taken a liking to and I can't wait for season six yeah yeah, yeah. the season six opener is gonna be good too because they kind of ended on a cliffhanger yeah with Rick and Morty uh, being just out in the middle of nowhere with no portal gun that's, that's gonna be an interesting episode I guess I didn't think about that factor of it yeah. it's like they 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 do have to like actually fucking get back. Yeah. Which it's it seems like part of the episode though was like okay let's get rid of the evil Morty variable and like mm-hmm. let's deal with this whole council bullshit because like um, we want to get to this episodic format that we love doing and it's like mm-hmm. well I respect that but like you've also written yourself into another like serialized like position like where you have to address this in the next episode and if you don't I mean. You could play it off with jokes, like, maybe. but Right. Well, I, they also, I mean, they kind of even wrote them, like, with with how, you know, Morty, like, opens the golden portal. It's like, And it's, it just ends right there with him going into it. It's very like, okay, are we going to see more of that, or did it really end? I guess maybe we might know with the first episode of season six, something might be explained. Or maybe, like, in season eight. In season <laughs> eight, know. it will randomly appear again, yeah. Um I'd like to. I'd like to. Ex- I'd like. Well, I mean, they can do whatever the fuck they want. I think it'd be cool though if we had just like you know a episode where they kind of explored the our version C one thirty seven Rick and Morty going exploring outside of that finite curve and seeing you know what the fuck else is out there because it opens up you know new creative possibilities for episodes. I think so. Yeah. I, that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, really like this episode. Fuck yeah. uh, Rick and Morty. Rick, 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 Rick and Morty. Morty. Rick and Morty. Copyright. Just in case. You never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Um, before we get into the main topic today, there are another couple of talking points, I think, that are worth uh, mentioning. mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of our biggest listeners of the show, uh, Saxon, uh, got married this weekend and good job yeah wow congratulations, congratulations. I, I i know that you're probably not listening to the show you're probably <laughs> on like a honeymoon which good for you good you don't need you. to be spending it <laughs> listening well, to yeah, the podcast right. <laughs> you need to spend it being so so happy and i hope you are 
Um, good, just great job, Saxon. I, I don't know. Very good job. Very good job. I don't. I don't know what to say when people know, get yeah. married like that. You know, it's just like. I just always like congratulations. Uh, have have a good time. You know, I I, I hope <laughs> have a good time for the rest of your life. Yeah. Which, you know, that's that's a heavy concept to me right now. But you <laughs> you got married, so you you know what you're doing. So yeah. I I trust you, buddy. <laughs> and that's that's I don't know. I hope that sounded really positive because I meant it that way. <laughs> no, we yeah we uh, we are proud of you, Saxon. We are your um <laughs> your podcasting fathers, so to speak. Indeed, very indeed. proud. You know so much more about film than us too. So so please true. continue to teach us. Yes, it, it, from a even more wizened position. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. I guess kind of a sadder note from from marriage. Uh, Michael K. Williams, uh, star of The Wire and and Boardwalk Empire, probably his most famous roles, uh, passed away recently. They they found him um, in his New York apartment, and it's just damn. It's a real shame. He was yeah. he was like only fifty four. Um, yeah. Very 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 talented man. Um, I, I I personally like. I've I've not completed The Wire, but the character of Omar on that show is is an incredible, like very well developed character and very positive for for not only black representation but gay representation on mm-hmm. TV. And then on top of that, he's got one of the funniest episodes of Community, um, where they do a Law and Order parody. And I'll never forget he plays the like biology teacher, and it's it's so classic. He he gave his all to like every role he was in, and it, I mean. You just hate to see like yeah. pure talent like this go, you know. Very yeah, very sad. I I didn't watch. I haven't watched The Wire or Boardwalk Empire, but I do know him from you know he was in uh, Inherent Vice, you know, Twelve Years a Slave, yeah, uh, and The Road, which I haven't watched uh, The Road yet. But he's like on some promotional images, I think, for that film. Yeah, like, some like if you look up the movie, you'll see it. I think I I think I did watch his scene. Like I haven't seen The Road movie. I I, I mm-hmm. loved the book though, and I and I, I watched his scene. I it and I mean yeah, he just like fucking kills it and mm-hmm. everything he's in, or you know he was in, and mm-hmm. I mean this is just a real. A real shame, and yeah. I, I don't know. It was worth mentioning yeah. on the podcast when, like, talent like that just just fades. So, yeah. um, don't mean to sound like such a huge bummer uh, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the episode, but like, it, it's good to acknowledge, uh, you know, artists uh, and their and their time uh, with us. And 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 speaking of which, uh, I guess we should talk about some art because uh, we didn't watch any new movies. Mm, yeah. But we did. Uh, we did ask you guys um, on Twitter what topic you would like to see. We we had a few cooked up, and you said that you wanted to see our episode idea about rotten movies. And basically, our concept here is that we um, are going to examine some movies that uh, have a rotten rotten tomato rotten score, score yeah. um, but that we like, and we think yeah. that got short tripped. But also. Um, on the opposite end, we might talk about some movies that suck butt, but, uh, have a pretty high Rotten Tomatoes score, so... And in this, we might critique Rotten Tomatoes themselves, and how they, uh, they, they, how their website is managed, I guess, so to speak. Who knows where this, uh, this shit might go. Yeah. Yeah, Let's, let's get fucking nuts. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's, uh, let's start with, um, our, uh... 
viewer or listener replies on Twitter. Um, first off, we have uh, Samuel Tyler said, uh, In an era of shaky live-action Disney attempts, I would like to direct your attention to Hook with a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. It might be an overindulgent mess at times, but it has more heart than most recent revisits of classic fairy tales. And no one is forced to sing Nirvana. I like that little jab at I, Pan yeah, in there. I, uh, I remember watching Hook when I was younger uh, and thinking that it was probably the best live-action Peter Pan movie we ever got. Yeah. Um, there's been a few, but the Hook is normally the one you always hear about, right? I feel like Hook's, Hook is a good, you know, uh, or at least decent live-action version of Peter Pan. Like, I love Peter Pan, though, so... Yeah, and I mean, Robin Williams, like, has got to be charming in that way. I, I'm going to yeah. be honest, I've never seen Hook. Really? I know it's a Spielberg movie, and I mm-hmm. love Robin Williams, and uh, honestly... Peter Pan is just a really great character to explore in live action, and I mean, I I'd be surprised if I uh, if I walked away, you know, with a gross feeling because it it looks like it's a pretty sappy movie. Like I've seen that scene mm-hmm. where they imagine like the food and everything. Yeah, yeah. That's really cute. You yeah, know? I for sure. Yeah, no, I think everything about it's pretty. Um... I guess magical would be the word. It's yeah. a magical story. It's a magical movie. I love Hook. I think it's yeah. I think it's great. I'm very surprised. I didn't know that it had a 29 fucking percent. Like, that's almost egregious. Yeah, people um, shit on it. You know, it's one of those Spielberg movies that get brought up as like one of his worst. So why? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess when you have so many good ones, like that. Yeah, uh, I guess the mediocre ones can. Which I mean, speaking of Spielberg, then. Let's let's scroll down on that there list. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and Sam uh, fairly pointed out on the opposite end of this, uh, Indiana Jones: Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is sitting with a comfortable seventy-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and that movie is nigh unwatchable. So um, it, I feel like that's strange because when when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull gets brought up in like any kind of discourse. It's it's usually for people to shit on it, like yeah. it, to to a massive degree. I I haven't watched it in a really long time. In fact, I don't think I've watched it since I saw it in theaters. Like, oh really? And I saw it like three times in theaters because when I was twelve, I mean that Any that was the shit. Was shit for me. Yeah. yeah, it was it was incredible. Like well, I mean the first three movies especially, mm-hmm. which were so mind blowing to me, and then this fourth one comes out, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. And it, it was kind of predictive of like how the new Star Wars sequels would be, where like get eight old actors to reprise their beloved roles and like yeah. show up. Well, it started the trend of Harrison Ford anyway being old and yeah. the audience <laughs> members being like, it's Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, I don't know. I was so hyped to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And and when I was a kid, I remember liking it. But even when I was younger, I was thinking, like, "Mm, I'd much rather go watch The Last Crusade about 12 times again before I watch this again. Because I think the alien part of it is Mm. just so hokey. It's it's corny, really. Pretty fucking dumb. Pretty, pretty fucking dumb, yeah. Um... The warehouse scene at the beginning is pretty cool, though. Yeah. Uh, the warehouse, that opening, the cold open or whatever it was. They get a lot of moments right. And I think that what happened here was maybe like Phantom Menace effect. Because Phantom yeah. Menace, when that movie first came out, a lot of great reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, like Roger Ebert gave it a four out of four. Uh, Holy uh, which shit. he was not known to do <laughs> too much. Like every movie he did that for, he, he wrote in his book 
great movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he later changed the score, I think, for The Phantom Menace. But, like, that was a lot of critics. Like, they saw it. They wanted to be enchanted by it. They were because they were just enough, like, right notes. Yeah, And right. then later examination will show, like, oh, yeah. a lot of emotional manipulation hiding, like, a pretty weak plot. And I think that's what happened with Crystal Skull and the critics, anyway. Yeah. Like, people just really wanted to like it. I yeah. want to like it actively I, still, you know? like Same, yeah. I, I want to go back and rewatch it and be like, well, I, we all fucked <laughs> up with this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting to see Spider-Man 3 again, too, and, and oh, hopefully yeah. feel that gratification there. I want to. I want mm-hmm. to bad. Spider-Man sure. 2 made me feel like it should be good. Right, right. Like, right. they set everything up. <laughs> they set everything up. <laughs> Please don't have him snap his fingers and be an emo. <laughs> It's too late, Isaac. He already is emo. If I could turn back time. <laughs> um, and uh, moving on, Isaac Granado said, uh, it's, a, it's a kid's movie, for goodness sakes. At least the audience knew what was up. And he uh, has the screen cap for The Mighty Ducks, 1992, yeah. with a 21% critics rating um, and a 65% audience score. Uh, and here's the crazy thing. This will probably get into how fucked up their rating system is. They've got 29 critic reviews for the Mighty yeah. Ducks. And there are 250 plus thousand audience reviews. That's in at a 65%. And I, so I feel like if more critics reviewed that movie, that score might go up. Um, because, I mean... Alright, Facebook. Um, I remember watching the Mighty Ducks. Excuse me. Um, when I was younger as well, I had it on VHS. And I feel like I remember it not being that bad. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's just a hockey movie, you know? It, it's talked about in a pretty, like, warm way, yeah. usually. I mean, like... Everybody talks... Any Anyone who grew up with it, yeah. like, I, I've usually heard great things. I've never seen it, also. Like, this is just kind of one that, that missed... My childhood, there was like a weird animated show that, yeah. that I remember I with like the, the yeah. lasers and shit. Yeah. That was fucking weird. But um, I it sounds like the original is just like a feel good like underdog sports movie. And honestly, I mean, if if people like that, and I mean, it was it was pretty popular that that format of film at that time. Like I I, I don't see why critics would shit on it like a lot, you know? Yeah, I don't. So I was looking it up to make sure it was the right one I was thinking of, and, and yeah, it is. It's the it's the live action underdog sports movie. Like you yeah. know, I I don't know. Typically, those get pretty good reviews. I feel like, and, and I mean the IMDb score is a little bit more reasonable. It's a six point yeah. six out of ten. So I think it was just like enough critics and those twenty nine that were polled. I mean, like yeah, didn't like it, you know. And yeah. I I just I feel like in that instance, like Rotten Tomatoes is just not really representing like what this movie should be sitting at which yeah. should probably be about closer to like 60 60 yeah you know? it's like yeah it's weird i mm-hmm. don't know um but yeah i definitely remember that movie um good take there isaac um isaac granado yeah yeah not me not me <laughs> <laughs> also good take isaac you oh thank you thank you <laughs> uh, we next we have blake um he said, Blake uh, Ferris, right? This indeed, is his last name. Indeed. Uh, he said, Tron Legacy. 51% critic score, 63% audience. It's a stunning movie with killer soundtrack that's a fine sequel to the original. 
Yes, I agree. A mm-hmm. hundred times, I agree. Tron Legacy is one of the movies that I had written down that I was going to talk about uh, on this episode regardless. It's fucking insane to me that critics ripped this apart as much as they did. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, maybe their problem was with, like, the story. Yeah, I think I, that I, was the case. I think a lot of people had a problem with, like, uh, Jeff Bridges, like, being, like, young CGI. Yeah. Like, I remember hearing a lot of complaints <sighs> about that. Yeah, but still, for 2010... Yeah, pretty, pretty great looking. Pretty good, yeah. So, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, dog on it that much. I am curious, And also the, 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 the Daft Punk score. The, I mean, the, like, are the, you kidding yeah. me? The that, fucking Daft Punk score. That shit slaps. That alone should have it at, like, a good right. score. Um, and so, yeah, it has, like, a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, so... With 247 reviews. I, I think that, you know, I, I think this movie gets short shrift. I, I haven't watched it in a while, so maybe, like, I just have nostalgia glasses on. But I remember it being a very visually dazzling movie in the theaters. And also, just a movie that, like, blows away the original. Like, the, mm-hmm. watching the original Tron is such a slog. Like, yeah, the, effects, the effects are, you know, dated now. And the yeah. story is, is just such a slow it's such a product of its time Mm -hmm. and the fact that like yes it looked amazing when it came out and yes the story was pretty suspenseful when it came out but now watching it 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 is really just like oh god well this is this is really really boring um tron legacy though i feel like tron legacy is what the original tron wanted to be though because like it's so grand, and like I recently rewatched it just a few months ago, and it still holds up. Like all the effects hold up. Maybe Jeff Bridges doesn't hold up as much as yeah. Anymore, but <laughs> everything else looks absolutely stunning, and I, I don't know. The story doesn't even bother me that bad. I still think the story is is pretty good. Like I don't know, man. And the score, the oh, I we I mean, can't talk about it enough. Like it's the perfect score fitted for its movie. Like that that score embodies you know encapsulates the entire film just in the score it's absolutely brilliant the daft punk really fucking brought their all to it yeah i was i was was blown away by that um by that movie at the time like Mm -hmm. i i would love to revisit it and i would love to confirm once again that critics really got that one wrong yeah um i i will say there i i have another couple of picks that really surprised me that i don't think i have too much to say um, you may be surprised to hear this one. The Sandlot has a rotten score what? on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, look it up right okay, now. Okay, let's go. Um, but that is one of the most beloved movies of all fucking time. Like, any kid who grew up in the 90s loves The Sandlot. Like, I watched it at school, like, probably, like, three times at least. And it's just such a heartwarming, harmless, like, movie. And, yeah, pull up the Rotten Tomatoes score. Watch this. Watch this, people. I, I can't remember the exact number, so Casey still... Oh, it did have... What? What? I swear to God, earlier I saw it today that it had like a 49%. I... Oh, you might have been looking at the um, uh, anniversary edition, maybe, or release or whatever. Maybe. Man, well, I now I feel like a liar again. <laughs> it's sitting at a 64%, guys. It's okay, safe. okay, it's safe. The Sandlot's safe. I just didn't... What? What? Who lied to me? How did I find out such false information? Yeah, the Sandlot... Sandlot's... uh, A-OK. Sorry, guys. 
So, false alarm, false alarm. We false don't have alarm. to kill anyone today. Uh, wait, so look up my next movie then. Yeah, I, okay. I've, I heard that Knight's Tale um, had a oh, ro rotten score. I think it does. A Knight's yeah, Tale okay, there we go. I need some vindication here. Yeah. There you, oh, it's, it's a 59%, barely. so it's barely rotten. <laughs> so I, I might just be talking out, out my ass here, like, oh, critics hated it, blah, blah, blah. They clearly didn't hate it, but like, the fact that it's rotten, like, and when people look it up and they're trying to determine, like, is this a movie worth my time? And the first thing they're going to see is, like, that green little splat. Splat, That yeah. pisses me off. Because right. Knight's Tale is, <laughs> I mean, it's maybe not the best movie ever made, per se. <laughs> but, like, Heath Ledger is so charming in that movie. All of the actors do a really great job. Mm -hmm. um, I really... Uh, I really enjoy like the way they bring modern music into that setting and I guess maybe a lot of critics just didn't vibe with that right. like maybe it was like pick a lane like either do like a medieval movie or do like a more modern like satire and I liked the mix like I feel like it's daringness to do both even though it can be silly at times mm -hmm. it, it, it's part of the charm of the movie and like I think Knight's Tale slaps and I I, 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 I can't understand why a 59% yeah it, you know it is enough to give this movie a bad rap if you look it up on the website like I think that's my biggest problem with Rotten Tomatoes is like if even if you have a majority of positive reviews if it's not a 60-40 majority you're going to be labeled as a bad movie. Yeah. And people who blindly just look at movie scores like that are going to not touch it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a way to like alienate people from a film generations mm -hmm. from now because, I mean, we do depend on review scores a lot yeah. more these days. Like people, people really like being told what their opinion should be. And yeah, people also don't like wasting their time. And I feel like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes despite you know i don't like it but they've got this to where it's um when i had when i lived uh back in marshall we had direct tv when we first got direct tv my mom got me this like movie channel package so like i had a hundred channels with playing movies all day any movie you could think of if i looked it up it was going to be playing within the next 48 hours so i'd set it to record and if you like clicked on the information about the movie it would give you the Rotten yeah. Tomatoes symbol with the score right next to it. It would have the critic score and the audience score. It would have the you know the tomato and the popcorn bucket. And there'd be movies that I'd heard that were really good that I wanted to watch, and it would have a rotten score and like an audi bad audience yeah. score. And I feel like a couple times it stopped me from watching some movies. And I wish, I wish that's not the case. Now I don't even pay attention to Rotten Tomatoes no. half the time. Um, it is interesting for me to go on Rotten Tomatoes sometimes and look and see what's going on and see because. I mean, whether you, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes influences opinions a lot, you know, yeah. I feel like. Because um, if you see the score going into the movie, you're expecting that, and you're not really going in with a clear mind, open mind, I guess you could say. Um, which, uh, it, I mean, it's smart what they've done, but I wish they'd fucking get rid of it. It's just that seeing that putrid, rotten, green yeah. splatter, it's just, I don't know, it makes me mad. I, and I will say, like, it reflects, like, the lack of open-mindedness from a lot of critics. Like, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of, like, you know, snobs that mm -hmm. control this, this like, meter. And, mm -hmm. and especially with movies with less reviews. Like, 
you know, indie movies, they really live or die, like, off of, like, critic reviews. Like, they, they can get eaten up. And, and Rotten Tomatoes is, like, a big contributor to, like, these movies being, like, maybe pushed down in the, yeah. in the cultural zeitgeist. I, I do see the, uh, the value, though, of having a website where users can't just review bomb shit. Yeah. I think if you pull up, like, The Last Jedi, like, I think that's a movie where... Uh, there's, you know, there's been some divine intervention from the critics because mm-hmm. the audience fucking review bombed the shit out of Last yeah, Jedi. Sitting at a forty-two percent with a hundred thousand ratings, and I and I know the IMDb score is probably a better representation of like what Last Jedi needs to sit at. I mean, it has a ninety-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I do like Last Jedi. I don't know that it you know should score that high and i think that's always been the problem with the system is even if a movie is like really good like just because more people like it it has a higher score that doesn't necessarily reflect the quality of the movie it just reflects like general likability yeah you know and i feel i feel like the rotten tomato system also boils down film to its basic to a you know a really basic two components like film good or film bad and it's yeah. like a film can be bad in some areas, but really good in some areas. And for some people, the really good areas is what shines through, so they end up liking it, and they can ignore the bad. That's that's my main problem with Rotten Tomatoes. You see these two motherfucking symbols here, yeah. and that's that's all that it's it's breaking you know film down to a very simple uh, understanding, and I feel that that's very wrong. You know, I think uh, you know I I think that the more I I grow. Um, with my appreciation of like art in general, the more I think maybe we wouldn't be so in the wrong to just leave scores behind. You know, like it, it means that people would actually have to digest content if they're mm-hmm. reading like a review, but like movies can't just be summed up into like a point system. You yeah. know, like I, I use Letterboxd that way well, because I, I mean, it's right there. It's yeah. like you can give movies. Uh, stars and I, I do want to catalog like mm-hmm. in that moment like what I think a star rating would be but more and more I feel silly like giving movies stars like I'm like well I liked it a certain amount but I don't think that like a 10 point scale really like sums yeah. up everything about a movie and the fact oh, that people not. live and die off of like a yeah. review score I mean uh, just check out like you know, in the music scene right now, uh, Anthony Fantano is is under some heavy fire because yeah. he only gave Donda like a seven, and it's mm. like he liked the album. You know, yeah. you heard his complaints, you heard what he likes. I mean, and he he's very well stated. But what people are doing is they're clicking on the video, and then they're clicking on the end of the video to see what the number is, and then yeah. they're gone. You know, and that's the problem with this whole system is that we've completely fed it you know mm-hmm. like ign's fed it rotten tomatoes fed it cinema scores fed it imdb's fed it like we just can't see a world where we like just write about and talk about film without like yeah. some fucking arbitrary number i like, feel like in there. the score is supposed to just be it's supposed to tack on to the review like the yeah. review is what i look i look for you know and then the the star rating or the number or percentage whatever is just like also supplement uh, there as well. I feel like it's meant. I feel like people who just give a movie a star rating or a percentage and don't explain themselves. I, I fucking hate that. 
But if you've got, like, even on Letterboxd, when you go through and somebody's rated something two stars and you read their review, there's some things that they like about it and, yeah. they'll, explain, and they'll explain their reasoning. So I think together it's good. I think the way Rotten Tomatoes has it with just a score right in front of you for you to see, and that's all you got to think about is the score. I mean, fucking critics exist for a reason, not just to slap numbers on movies. Like, you know, that it, it is arbitrary. It is kind of silly yeah. to boil it down to that. Well, and I, I feel like it hurts, like, a lot of, like, good movies. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I did um, take note of some movies that I actually really love yeah. that have rotten, rotten tomato scores. Um, t- the first one that I discovered being Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is a bit of a an artsier uh, movie. You know, it has, well, not artsier, but, like, it involves heavy drug use in the movie, and they, they go through efforts to show what it's like for those characters to experience those mm-hmm. sensations that they would be. And I mean, like, if you do even a lick of research about Hunter S. Thompson, this should not surprise you at all. And if you read the source material, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I mean, it's written from that perspective. Right. And so I think what happened is, like, a lot of critics went into that movie and they weren't prepared for, like, a more jarring, like, narrative structure, like a, something a bit more incoherent because the narrator is, like, unreliable. But this mm-hmm. is an instance where I'm, like... The audience score definitely yeah. has it right. Like this is a beloved classic. Like this yeah. is often considered Terry Gilliam's like magnum opus up there with Brazil and Twelve Monkeys, mm-hmm. and uh, yet it has a rotten like review score. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is I don't even think Rotten Tomatoes reflects like even the contemporary like view of a movie when it comes out. Like I'm sure most critics these days would probably agree that Fear and Loathing is like a really great movie. But, like, I think even at the time that it was released, you know, most people would have agreed that it's a really great movie. And I think that this website is harmful in the way that, like, when you try and look back on what people think, you're not actually going to see fully what they thought or what their complaints were. You're just looking at a number because, I mean, how many people are going to go through, like, 70 reviews and and see, like, all the rotten ones? And read them, like, yeah. to completion. I was, and I was about to say, I'm like, before people started tagging us, we know you can scroll down yeah. and read reviews. But still. People don't not, do that. People yeah. won't. People are not going to do that. Like, yeah, I'll do it. But and we, you know, film buffs will do it. But the average viewer that makes or breaks a box office of a movie is going to look at that front page, that front headline, and click off. Without mm-hmm. ever wondering, you know, anything else about it. Which is why, um, I mean, and just for reference, this Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas has an 89% audience score with 250,000 plus reviews. And then yeah. the critics' reviews, there's only 70 reviews and it's sitting at a rotten 50%. Like, yeah, which is that's, pretty low, yeah, you know? Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, And I get that... Um, there's some older movies sit at like 100% but only have like six critic reviews. I wish they would update their system and get more critics to review it at least. You know, if they're yeah. going to have this sort of system, like you should have at least 100 critics review every uh, major entry at least. You know, you don't got to worry about B movies or you know, stuff yeah, like increase that. Increase your goddamn sample size. Exactly. They, 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 I mean, this is a, the case with any scientific experiment. It's like yeah. if you don't have enough of a sample size the 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 results aren't going to be accurate to like exactly what what people think and i mean i mean you're telling me 70 this movie came out in 98 and you only got 70 critic reviews 
there are probably 70 critics that are licensed in one city in America. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, there's there's thousands of critics you can pull from. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I, I don't I don't really get it either. Um, I, I, I feel like if you want to present another movie before I... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do have one. Um, this is one that a lot of people might not know, but... Um, oh, Emilio Estevez's Emilio. Uh, second uh, feature on our list today. Yeah. He's using Mighty Ducks, too. And this is... Young Guns. Um, Young Guns is a Western about um, Billy the Kid. It's sort of a fictionalized um, telling. Uh, Billy the Kid basically is like rescued off the streets by this guy um, who takes in a bunch of outlaws. And he's basically what Dutch is in Red Dead Redemption. Oh, he nice. takes like abandoned misfits and he teaches them like how to read, how to do good, honest work, um, and tries to keep them out of. They still do kind of illegal stuff, but he keeps them out of big trouble. Um, but then one day he gets killed by a gang of uh, like outlaws. So they become outlaws, and they you know they ride <laughs> to go yeah. find the, the, the his killers because he was like a father figure to them. And it is a crazy, crazy movie. All the characters are memorable, likable. You remember every single one of them. There's not a wasted character. There's not a wasted scene. The dialogue is fucking amazing. It's just a batshit fucking western that I cannot believe has this low of a Rotten Tomatoes score. It is not deserve. It has a 41% with only 37 reviews. And it came out in 1988. Um, and it's got Charlie Sheen in it as well, which is crazy. Um, but the audience score is a bit better. It's got a 76% mm. with 50,000 you know, ratings. I My dad showed me this movie when I was younger. We watched it maybe once, twice a year for like every year. I fucking love this movie. This is one of my favorite westerns. It is so insane. Like It's so fun to watch. It's just an entertaining western. And I mean these characters are some of just the best like characters in westerns that I remember, you know. Um, and Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid is perfect. Like he just plays it so well. Um, and so yeah, I'm very livid about this. This yeah. Rotten Tomatoes score. No, that movie sounds awesome. Yeah, like I I, I want to visit it. Please now. do. Yeah. Please do. It's a great movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I just I, I don't get it. I mean, the critics' consensus reads: uh, Young Guns rounds up a posse of attractive young leads, but this cheerfully shallow brat pack western ultimately has too much hat and not enough cattle. What does that even fucking mean? I don't even know. That's just a shallow ass critic consensus as well. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think, um, yeah, it's got you know <clears throat> Emilio Estevez, uh, Char- Charlie Sheen. There's another big one in there. Um, where uh, da, 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 Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, um, nice. And so yeah, like yeah, there's a lot of you know, and Lou Diamond Phillips as well. There's a lot of. Uh, Basically, you know, all the women like to see, you know, all we like to see are, you know, young leads like the Brad yeah. Pitts and the Matt Damon, like that kind of thing. But in that generation, they were very hot. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. These these were the big the big guys. Um, but I don't know. Like I feel there's more to it than just the this the star power in it. Um, which maybe maybe that's what people can't look past. They just see all yeah. the stars and they just think it's like a cash grab or something. But no, I really I really like it. So um, what's what's your next one though? Oh, um, this one was probably the most surprising one for me to learn about. I saw Spaceballs in, well, maybe we have another Sandlot situation on our hands, because I simply can't believe that this movie has a negative 
uh, Rotten Tomato score. Let's see. Um, I've never seen. Oh, it does. Spaceballs. Yeah, yeah, Spaceballs is sitting on uh, Rotten Tomatoes with a 56%. And uh, let me tell you something. Mel Brooks is one of the greatest uh, satirists of all time. Uh, his movies are, you know, not always incredible, but like he is one of the most consistent like comedy forces out there. And mm-hmm. Spaceballs is one of his best. He, it's probably my favorite of all of his movies, probably because I was exposed to it at such a young age. And it's a, it's got a really great um, take on on Star Wars, on sci fi, on like sequel culture in general. It's kind of ahead of its time in that way because mm-hmm. it it riffs on like multi-million dollar franchises making money off of like merchandising and and yeah. the sequels uh and it was made in the 80s like in a time where we didn't like, yeah we didn't even have like the crazy amount of like sequels and merchandising that we have today yeah. like i mean if he thought that people were getting creatively bankrupt in the 1980s i mean like i i wonder how he feels today you right. know looking at everything now um i just i feel like this is such a surprise, you know, to a lot of people because Spaceballs, I feel like, usually gets brought up in pretty high regard. I mean, it was it was enough of a classic movie that it got a pretty terrible um, animated spinoff series mm. in the late 2000s. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, it, this one just, just snuck up on me. I was like, holy shit. That, there was no way. Um, and I, I'm looking at it still and I, I can't believe it. Only 43 critic reviews again. Um, at a 56% and this is what people are going to see of it you know they and this is strange because I mean Mel Brooks other movies like Blazing Saddles has like a a stark like 78% or something you know actually representative of like his quality of work and I mean Young Frankenstein has another really high score it's just strange to see like movies ahead of their time like this Mm -hmm. they'll forever be marked by the reviews yep. that came out at the time about them that, you know, didn't get them. Like, movies that took risks and movies that, you know, genuinely are clever and, and, and still have relevance today are, are relegated to what critics in the 1980s thought of it. Yeah. And that's, that's fucking insane. What's, what's crazy is I was just thinking, like, you know, there's a bunch of, like, older movies, like, in the 40s, 30s through the 50s and even in the 60s that... Critics hated when they came out, but now they're beloved. And I feel like most of those movies, the Rotten Tomatoes scores, reflect that. Um, But now that we have the internet, I don't feel like a lot of scores for movies that come out today will change in 20 to 30 years. You know? No. You know, that's set for life now because the internet's, you know, a permanent thing until it it's not. Yeah, until um, we're gone. Until we're (laughs) gone. But, you know, now that we have an internet... Uh, on the internet, a system where you can go and look at all this stuff that's forever logged. How many people are going to go back and change their opinions? You know, yeah. For like, that's going to be forever tainted. Yeah, and good luck like digging up like all of the critics who are like who were old at the time and yeah. now fucking dead. It's like, right. why does their opinion like forever mark this shit? You know, like we don't we don't exactly read like what Socrates thought of, like, uh, you know, the tragic plays of the time. I mean, like, it kind of matters, but, like, typically we rely on modern, you know, scholars and critics to tell us what to think of those classic works, and it's weird to see that movies don't get that same luxury as other arts, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we do depend on, like, the old blood and the old opinions on those things in terms of, like, 
websites and 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 movie scoring systems like yeah just the critics at the time yeah. will have forever dominion because of the internet you yeah know? and that's for sure. that's fucking insane yeah um another i mean we might just be repeating ourselves here but i just i i feel like it's relevant every yeah. movie that we search up and, and and speaking of which uh what's your next pick oh um <laughs> so I, I believe I, I think you might be on the wrong side of history I might bro. be on the wrong side of history but I have a point with this okay um, okay <laughs> so one of my favorite creature features is Anaconda 1997 with y'all gotta listen to this cast I think I've said it before but it literally it kills me every, every fucking time we got Ice Cube John Voyett Jennifer Lopez Eric Stoltz and even, um, I believe, Owen Wilson is in this movie as well. Yes, Owen Wilson is in the movie. Okay, this is crazy. Um, no, it's not the best movie ever. And no, the effects, you know, aren't crazy good for 97. But I mean, I mean come on. Like, it's a creature feature. I feel like one of the things that bugs me about Rotten Tomatoes is I feel like they have a system where they rate every movie accordingly uh, or not accordingly to they don't take into consideration genre they don't take into consideration like any like kind of budget restrictions they just if it's they slap it with you know whatever the fuck they feel like um, and the I mean you could say I'm in the wrong because the audience scores at 24 percent with 250 thousand plus ratings um, but I feel like this movie has just got a lot to like and enjoy about it and for 51 critic reviews sitting at a 37 percent. And 97, I, you can get more critics to review this, especially now. You can go back and look at it and look at all the people that were in it. I just feel like something special about this movie that people are just glossing over. And especially mm-hmm. because it's a creature feature. Like, there's a, those are especially shit on. Everybody holds up creature uh, movies to the level of Jaws. Yeah. Which, it's not a bad standard, but still, like, these movies, they don't get huge budgets. And I, But Anaconda did something kind of fucking crazy. Um, in which, the, I mean, it's it spun a series. Like, there's five of these fucking movies. Like, yeah, a couple of them went to the Sci-Fi Channel, but the fact that they kept putting money into it, I mean, there was something about the original that was there, but, um, I don't know, pretty shit on, pretty, makes makes me sad. And I, I might be wrong, maybe, if, if y'all seen Anaconda, sound off in the comments or on Twitter. Um, actually, if you've seen any of these movies we're talking about, we want to hear your opinions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Anaconda just makes me mad because it's, um, I feel like it's a unique kind of movie, and um, it's absolutely just <laughs> not given any love whatsoever. Uh, even though it spawned a whole franchise, and it—I mean, it's got Ice Cube, yeah, and Owen Wilson. Like, I, I just think that's crazy. I—I I feel like um, you know this is a good talking point for like how you know not only Rotten Tomatoes but like critic reviews being a wall for people to watch movies uh, limits horror especially Mm -hmm. and also comedy because i i I think that those are very subjective genres yes like what works for people will not be universal Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. people aren't scared of the same shit people don't laugh at the same jokes yeah and and to have a uh, a comedy website where uh i mean to have a, a review website tell you you know like oh this movie is scary or oh this movie is funny um you know, and to, to lay out how you should feel about it before you even mm-hmm. get the chance to watch it. Like, it's not going to be accurate for how you might feel about it. I think there are a lot of... Uh, I don't want to get into the opposite end of the spectrum here, but, like, 
I think there are a lot of 80s comedy movies that are very beloved and sit at a very high score. I'm mainly thinking of Caddyshack right now that are mm. horribly dated. Like, yeah. they might have been the groundbreaking comedy of the time, but, like, go back and rewatch like, Caddyshack or Animal House or any of these movies. And I might get a lot of shit for saying this because these are very beloved movies. Right. But they are so fucking dated. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work as well as it might have worked back then. I mean, like, the stars and the, and the writing talent of the time is probably undeniable, but that's the thing. It's, like, the opinion of those old... Older folks uh, have prevented these movies from like changing in the in the view of the public like now, and I think that especially with horror movies, there's just a ridiculous like wall you have yeah. to jump over. Like you have to be super exceptional to get any kind of critical like darling, um, you know, attention. And I mean, right. Silence of the Lambs is like the only one that's done it, and that's more like thriller than yeah. like horror, you know? Yeah, as with yeah with. It's in, that you mentioned the comedy. It's in, that you mentioned the comedy movies, the older ones, even the ones from the fifties. Like I've seen very few comedies from like you know forties and fifties, even some of the sixties that I think are funny. It's just comedy changes, mm-hmm. and I think so does horror. Um, I think that's that's why it's so the critic ratings on those movies are so hard to to gauge because. Like you said, what was funny back then is not funny today. And I think also what was scary back then is not scary today. Like, Rosemary's Baby, undeniably horrifying in the 60s. Even me watching the movies, I'm like, that's kind of scary. But today, you can't make Rosemary's Baby. It's just not... People... People kind of like kind of laugh at that now. That that's just not something that's scary. That was kind of the satanic panic, yeah. Days, you know, um, but now you know horror movies. What we find scary is like Midsummer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a breakup movie about mental health, but it's also you know got you know the gore like the I guess it is sort of like a cult, but it's not really yeah. the satanic panic kind of thing. It's more like no. you, you go alone somewhere and you're killed, <laughs> but. And who's to say what movies now will be considered classics later? And, like, why should we tell the next generation, like, oh, this is the shit? Like, I I, I challenge people, especially, like, unless you grew up with certain movies, like, you know, go back and watch, like, the Boris Karloff, like, Frankenstein movies and, like, try and sit through those, like, from a modern perspective. I think you're going to have a hard time. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking of which... I think that some movies uh, that are, you know, classics or, you know, some of my... Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop cutting around the shit. Very good. One of my favorite movies ever uh, has a rotten tomato score. And it's crazy because this director is a critical darling, and that is Wes Anderson. I think every other movie that Wes Anderson has made has a positive score. Bottle Rocket, Rushmore... Uh, Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Darjeeling Limited, mm-hmm. uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, you Moonrise know, uh, Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, even Isle of Dogs. They all have positive scores. My favorite, though, is sitting at a 56% with 225 reviews. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Um, in my opinion, this is Wes Anderson's masterpiece. This is his magnum opus. I love that movie so fucking much. The soundtrack, the look, like the the... The, the David Bowie covers in it, like, it's all so fucking good. And you have to tell me that people 
you know, have to like refer to like an audience score or like word of mouth to know that it's a good movie. They can't just like go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like if they look it up, they're going to see a bad score. And yeah. that breaks my fucking heart because this is one of my favorites. And I think that, you know, most people who watch it will probably like it. And it, mm-hmm. it's. I did. I liked it. You told me to watch it. And I loved it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. See? <laughs> and, and that's the thing I hate is that critics from 2004 will forever determine that mm-hmm. this was not the direction. And this case is particularly upsetting because most of the critics who reviewed it negatively seemed to not like it because it wasn't the Royal Tenenbaums Part 2. Yeah. You know, it's because it was a kind of a. Uh, jarring shift from that setting and that tone mm-hmm. is like more comedic it's it's a bit more um out there with its setting and and characters like it's a jacques cousteau ripoff guy that's the main character of the movie it's not a dysfunctional i mean there's dysfunctional relationships in the movie there's all of the wes anderson staples but at the time critics thought you know this this is a bit of a dud this is a misdirection and i i think that's so fucking cringe inducing that like that's the stain that it has to wear now. It has that rotten splat yeah. forever. And I'm like, that's like top three movies of all time for me. Yeah. Really, it is. I love that movie so fucking much. I, I, I can't stand yeah. this Rotten Tomato score in right. general. And I, I posted about it on Twitter. I was like, make it make sense. Yeah. It's never made sense to me. No, no. Me neither, honestly. Because I remember I watched it and I thought, hey, this, uh, this is pretty good. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um. But I can see probably why critics didn't like it because, like you said, they were wanting Royal Tenenbaums Part Two. They were wanting any like. I feel like this is the most different movie that uh, Wes Anderson has done because it's not like everything else he's done. It's got a lot of his trademarks, like you mm-hmm. said, but it it is different. But also that's kind of why I like it. It's it's, yeah. it's very different. And Bill Murray, love oh, that man. God, God bless so that man. Yeah. Yeah. Love, I like this movie a lot. I really do. Um, and I, yeah, I'm very surprised at this abysmal fucking score from Rotten Tomatoes. Thank you, Casey. You're it means welcome. a lot. Your, yes. your, your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't have any more to talk about. Okay. I, I wrote down my couple that I think are truly egregious. So I and think we, uh, we, got, we got some good replies too, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think we touched on a lot of what's wrong with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I think. Uh, Maybe we can just end the episode by mentioning that uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Thor The Dark World has a 64%. Yeah. Um, and compare it to some of the movies you've heard that have a rotten score. And, you know, maybe 20 years from now, if this podcast is still on the internet somehow and you can yeah. go back and listen to it, uh, you know, were we right? Or yeah. were the movies that we talked about classics or were those, uh, yeah, you know? Yeah, were those faded to oblivion? Getting existential up in here. Right? Well, we've enjoyed your presence today, audience. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for your responses and for your for your topic selection. We we hope to always pick topics that you want to hear. And I mean exactly. if you uh if you want we can post another poll of topics, let us know. Let's do it, yeah. Always suggest if you feel yeah. like it, like even if it's just the most random shit. Oh yeah, always yeah. suggest this ideas because well, more than likely we'll we'll try it because yeah uh, we just like doing this we want to do what you want to we want to we want to talk about what you want to hear as long as it's about movies 
So we're a movie podcast. But yeah, that's the only limitation. I mean, go crazy. We might, we might actually watch some movies next week. Yeah, too. sorry. Yeah, we might feel I, like it. I just remembered. I did watch Spider-Man. I, the <gasps> the Raimi? Yeah, after, I think after you went, we recorded that last time, I watched it. Me and Donna did. And we were just like, yeah, this fucking slaps. Like, yeah. it is a little bit dated in some areas, but I mean, my God, I still love this. So, oh, yeah. that's fantastic to yeah. hear, man. Yeah, I, 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 we came to the same conclusion, it yeah. sounds like. I can't wait for you to see Spider Man Two again. I know that's what that I one's watch especially next. fucking great. Yeah. Um, remember to 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 massage your feet and eat meat. Anyway, here's here's kisses. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. <laughs>